I've had the privilege of being in and around banking for more than 50 years. Lots of changes during that time. We've gone from ledgers to laptops, typewriters to technology. One thing, however, remains the same. Banking is a people business, and I'll be talking with those people that make banking great here on Jack Rats with Modern Bankers. Welcome to Jack Rants with Modern Bankers, brought to you by RELPRO and Vertical IQ. Each week I feature top voices in financial services, from bankers and consultants to best-selling authors and many more. The goal of this program is simple, to provide insights, success practices, and to bring new ideas to the table that you can use to maximize your results. My guest today is a very, very special friend, Meredith Elliott Powell. I met Meredith when she was a young banker in Western North Carolina. From the second I shook her hand and watched her with customers and colleagues, I just knew that she would be a world-class consultant before too long. Well, it happened. And today she's on the road 200 days every year, bringing audiences her own unique brand of strategic and tactical messages around sales, relationship development, and leadership. I've had her speak for me a number of times Meredith never disappoints. She is absolutely best in breed of what she does. Meredith is an award-winning speaker and her company, Motion First, provides leadership coaching and online courses that focus on sales and the customer experience. She's authored seven best-selling books, the latest of which is Thrive, Strategies to Turn Uncertainty into Competitive Advantage. She also can be seen on Sales Logic Live it's on LinkedIn every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. I never miss it, along with her co-host, Mark Hunter. It's a podcast, too, so don't miss this one. It's really, really good. On this Jack Rants with Modern Bankers, we talk sales and relationship development and thriving with my good friend, Meredith Elliott Powell. I always like to start out these programs with, a, uh, with, with kind of a, a thought from my guest uh, about something good. So tell me something good, Meredith. Yeah. So I think that, you know, actually, I think this probably going to, people are going to think this is maybe a little bit crazy with all the uncertainty and all the shifts in the marketplace. But when I look at something good, I think if you are in sales right now, or if you're in the service business, something good is that your customers need you now more than ever. I mean, this is the time to really be out listening and engaging with people. When the times become turbulent, we become more relevant. That's very, very true. And I want to uh, dive into that as well. Uh, so people know you from being on stage. They've probably seen you uh, uh, in larger groups, but I know your firm does a lot more than that. Tell us about your company and what you do. Yeah, so we do quite a few things. Um, number one, I've got a little team that works with me that does facilitation workshops. We do coaching. We do group coaching, one-to-one -one, uh, coaching. We do retreats. We do speaking engagements. And we do quite a bit of um, online learning. We've got quite a portfolio of, of courses and, and content all poised around helping people thrive in an uncertain marketplace, whether it be strategy, sales, or leadership and talent development. And you and you do a lot of speaking. I mean, you're out there almost every week. Uh, outside of banking, um, what 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 kind of topics? You mentioned you're going to Philadelphia. What what topics are people asking about? What what do they want? Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting. So in the last couple of years, I've really been talking so much around how do we get people, how do we navigate an uncertain marketplace? So I feel like that the the topics in the last couple of years have been more focused on helping C-suite and CEOs figure out how to strategize in a marketplace that is constantly shifting. Now, Jack, it has moved to become how do we get our teams future focused? How do we get people to not be waiting for change to happen, but be predicting? Because everybody seems to be worn out by the amount of uncertainty in the marketplace, worn out by the level of change. And as you can see, it is not slowing down. In fact, it is picking up. And it's a constant. I mean, I think the biggest myth about uncertainty is that we think there's going to be an endpoint when there isn't. Yeah, I'm going to talk about endpoint, and and certainly you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I know you pretty well, and I feel I can ask this question. You've been doing this quite a number of years, um, and, you know, I've been doing it a long time, too, and we all talk about slowing down, and I talk about slowing down, and I have quite a lot. What is your endpoint? How long do you want to keep doing this? You know, the um, the thing, I do, I do 80 to 100 speaking engagements. A year, and I've been doing that for for quite a while. Um, what I know is that um, I feel like I am on the crest of what is next in my business. So, you know, Jack, since you've known me, and since I've known you, we've done quite a lot of different things. And you know, when you were back consulting with our bank and helping us, you probably didn't think you'd be doing this right now. And so what I'm feeling very much is a shift coming in my business. I think if you have this conversation with me this time next year, I'll probably be coming to a close of doing 80 to 100 speaking engagements a year just because I feel like the next horizon is there. And I really feel like the next horizon is going more global and more global will mean more online content, more uh, more ways for people to digest the things that I'm offering. So I sort of think slowing down for me means more shifting than slowing down. It's interesting. And and I'm sure you have that in your mind as, as an objective or a goal or a strategy. And I listened to you and uh, Mark Hunter uh, recently on your Sales Logics podcast, which I want to talk about later. But one of the things you talked about were, were your goals, and you actually showed a piece of paper that you have for your goals. When did you start that, and why did you write them down? Yeah, what a great question. So probably um, 10 years ago, I had a group of uh, women come to me, it was a women's organization, and said, could you speak to us about how to be confident? And I just laughed because I thought I have to be the most insecure person on the planet. Like, but obviously I appear confident. And I really started, I, I said, yes, I'll speak about that, even though I had no idea what I was going to do. And I really thought about that. And I thought confidence is something that could be taught. And I thought, what is the most important piece of confidence? And what I figured out was it's progress. And so I wrote down every area of my life that mattered to me, my finances, my health, my family, my relationship with my husband, my spirituality. And I thought, where am I now? Where do I want to be? And what's one step that I could make to progress 
towards where I want to be. I'm a passionate believer that I cannot be successful in my business if my marriage isn't happy. I don't believe I can be successful in my marriage if my health isn't good. And so I, I wrote them down 10 years ago, and I've been looking at them every morning uh, since then, and again, at least one more time during the day, too, if I'm, if I'm more committed. But I am fascinated um, with how the mind finds what it focuses on and how just looking at this little piece of paper that I have looked at for 10 years motivates me every single morning. Like one of my um, goals this year under my progress with my relationship with my husband is to do one thing nice for Rob every day. And that means whether I'm on the road or whether I'm not on the road. And um, you'd be amazed how much I would forget to even listen to him if I didn't write that down. I mean, he's probably the person I take for granted more than anybody else in my life. And so those little, just those little triggers do that for me. Well, you and I have done this for quite a while and you'll do it for a lot longer than I probably will. But you know, if there are people who are starting off and saying, you know, I'd like to do what Meredith does for a living. I'd like to do 80 to 100 speeches a year. How do you keep yourself sane and healthy? Uh, You must have some routines on the road that kind of help you um, stay with it. Yeah. So, um, again, great question. Number one is, um, is exercise is always first for me. So even this morning I got up and I, I didn't have a lot of time. I had to run to the dentist and I had a lot to do. We had a big weekend, so I didn't pack over the weekend and I should have. But um, I had a choice where I could get on and answer my emails or I could do a few things. But instead, I went downstairs to our gym and I worked out. I just I think my best advice is you need to know yourself. What what pours energy in? to you. And if I exercise, my mind is right. Maybe for you, it's sitting down and having a cup of, you know, coffee or sharing a bowl of cereal while your five-year-old talks to you. I don't care what it is, but you've got to learn to manage your energy and not manage your time. And so exercise is important to me. My friends are really important to me. Making a little bit of time to meditate every morning. Whatever fills my energy tank up is what keeps me sane to be doing really the other thing. So I came across energy management versus time management probably about five or six years ago, and and I love it. If I don't spend time with our kids, if I don't make time for my friends, the guilt eats at me, and I'm not productive. And so I think people would be very surprised at um, at – People assume I work 18 hours a day, and the truth is I go at it about 16 hours a day, but a good four of those is playing, exercising, or spending time with people that I care about. It's really important. The other thing you really care about is um, is others, and you that, that kind of comes out in your writing. I know you're very active in writing on LinkedIn, and you wrote this amazing book. Uh, yeah. This is, you've written a number of books. This is absolutely my favorite. Thrive Strategies to Turn Uncertainty to Competitive Advantage. And oh, look, everybody, I got one signed by the author. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, what, what went into this book? What were your thoughts in, in writing this book? Yeah, I feel like I, I agree with you. It's it's absolutely my um my my favorite book. So back in, um I've, in all honesty, I feel like this book was, 
the book that probably was the genesis of when I started down um, the avenue of consulting and speaking and things like that. But it really came to a head back in 2018 and 19. You know, one of the biggest things that I've learned from you is just listen to your customers. They will tell you what to do and, and where to go. And in 2018 and 19, the economy was red hot. Everybody was doing unbelievable business, but everybody I spoke to said, oh, this uncertainty, like everybody was waiting for the ball to drop. And I thought, why does uncertainty always have to be negative? And once I started to talk to people about the fact that they said they would believe that uncertainty could lead to something positive, um, everybody then said, well, okay, I buy into that, but I don't know what to do. And so I wanted to write the book that, number one, shifted the mindset that made people believe that uncertainty was a was a positive and could lead to something very good in your life and your business. And then I wanted to take all the guesswork out of what to do with that book. And that's why I wrote the formula. The biggest thing to me was I finished that book. I had it all ready to send to the publisher. And all of a sudden it hit me. I thought uncertainty doesn't end at five o'clock. I mean, the people living in the Great Depression didn't shut the office down at five and go home and life was perfect. So I kept the book another month, called the publisher and said, I think I need to write this formula so that it applies to your personal life. And so I I took that strategy because life is just, I think it is fractionally positive and then a lot of obstacles in your way. And if you can learn to turn those obstacles into opportunity, personally or professionally, you're going to live a life far richer than you ever even dreamed possible. But harnessing that is probably the biggest challenge for both professionals and, and people in general. And you mentioned the formula, so I, I got to ask, what is it? Yeah, so it's, it is nine steps. And I, you know, not surprisingly, it begins with where we started with that relentless vision. Um, you've got to be relentlessly focused on where you want to go and where you want to head. The second strategy is condition yourself for change. Start to think about the shift coming in the marketplace. Don't wait for change to happen. Number three is competition becomes collaboration. Probably hardest for people in business today. You're the person sitting next to you who's your competitor not your competitor. It's about how you can work together. Number four is the one that shocked me. Know your core values. Live your life and run your business according to your core values. Number five is grow your business from the inside out. Again, like you said, listen to your customers. They will always show you the path to profitability. And in your darkest hour is when your customers need you the most. Um, Number six, no surprise, build your network. Network is everything, even in a high-tech world. Number seven is strengthen your team. Number eight is um, shed fast and keep moving. You've got to be productive, not busy. And number nine is rinse and repeat. It's a fluid formula that needs to be done over and over again. And look at that. You did that without one single note, and I'm not surprised at that at all. I love the one about collaborating with your uh, with your competitors. I call them coopters. We yeah. absolutely live in this amazing world of abundance, even though we're in a chal- more of a challenging economic time. And if you find someone who you trust that can do a job for you, and either you can't or you won't, Move it on, move it on, because if that competitor does a good job for your client or your prospect, my gosh, that that floats all boats and they'll come back to you and say, hey, thanks for recommending me. What more business can we do together? I'm sure you've seen that. Meredith. All, all the time, you know, just before 
we started this um, interview, I had a friend of mine call me, and we're both up for the same job. And she had the interview first, and she called me. She said, hey, I want to give you a heads up. Here's what here's what they're looking for, and actually, I think you'd be a better fit. Mm-hmm. So I want, you know, I want to let you know, because this is what we know, is that, first of all, is that the better the reputations are in our industry, then the better we are all going to do. The other is the challenges we face, they're too big for one person or one industry to solve. You've got to start to think about how you can work together and how you can work together is how you're going to grow. I'm going to steal something from you and Mark. Um, okay. every, every week you talk about the lightning round. So I'm going to give you a lightning round because I know you're busy and you're headed to the airport. So here's a couple of things, lightning round. Uh, number one, what are some tools that great salespeople are using successfully? Yeah, number one is nobody wants to hear, but it's the CRM. Bar none, it is the CRM. Number two, I think is the um, is the calendar really making it really, really ridiculously easy for people to um, to schedule with you. And number three, I would say using AI for research. If you are a salesperson that hasn't started to put your toe into the AI arena, dive in there. I'm going to throw in number four just because you and Bryn Tillman do such a great job, but it's this whole idea of social selling. Anytime I see a salesperson that doesn't have a profile, that doesn't have a picture, that isn't active on there, I think, wow, you are missing um, missing the boat. Oh, you said the keyword missing, and you talked yeah. about CRM. What are salespeople missing about this thing? It's so good. It is so good. I, you know, I think that salespeople think that it's cumbersome, and I get that. But the sale happens in the follow-up. It always happens in the follow-up. The chances that you're going to interact with somebody at the exact moment they are ready to buy are slim to none. And I don't care how good a salesperson you are, you cannot remember to follow up with all the people that you call on. You can't remember what you talked about. And you can't remember specific dates of when they are going to need you or when you should um, when you should interact with them. So to me, it is like my ultimate my ultimate administrative um, assistant. It keeps me straight. It saves me time. It makes me look good, and it makes sure that I shorten the sales cycle. Absolutely. Um, so you talked about follow up. Um, I'm a follow up fanatic, and so are you. What are so let's say that you and I were on this Zoom call and I was a potential client for you. Um, what kind of follow-up could I expect from you? Yeah, you know, I think the follow-up is so important and I think it is the most neglected part of the sales cycle. So let's assume you and I had a sales call. Let's assume you were ready to buy with me. I mean, it was a good sales call. And um, and then I leave you and the, and the deal goes cold. You don't respond to my email. You don't respond to my phone call. The number one thing that salespeople do is they assume that no longer Jack is interested. False. When I left Jack's office or I shut off the Zoom call, here's what happened. Jack's wife needed him to work on the new construction of the house. His biggest client called with a huge um, order, and he just found out his best salesperson is going out on maternity leave. In other words, bigger things happen than following up with me. So at that moment, I go into what I call my 70-30 follow-up formula. 70% of the follow-up I'm going to do with you is to value add. You not responding to me is telling me 
I haven't made this a big enough priority. So how can I continue to build trust, build the relationship to add value? 30% of the time when I reach out to you, I am going to ask you, are you ready? Are you, you know, could we schedule another call? Could we talk about the deal that we were talking about? And the reason it's a 70-30 split is because 30% you need to ask for the business. But if you ask for the business too much, you're annoyed. You're so annoyed. Jack, this morning I got an email from somebody who had reached out to me about wanting me to buy something from them. Now they've reached out to me and says, you, you must be busy. Please read my email below and respond. I'm annoyed now. I'm so annoyed, even if I needed the product, I would never, ever call them. We need to treat online selling like we would a relationship and realize that people are busy and and sales is about timing and we increase our timing by, by solving the problems that are biggest to our customers. And we do that through follow-up. Amazing. That's amazing. Well, timing in life is everything, and your uh, my time with you is running out. But I do have to ask you because I respect you as much as anybody in the sales business, Meredith. Um, look into your crystal ball and uh, talk about twenty twenty four a little bit from a sales perspective. What are you seeing? Yeah, so in twenty twenty four, I am one of those people that I think that the economy is going to become um, more challenging. I think we are going to feel the interest rate um, shock. Manufacturing is already seeing signs of of slowing down. The labor force, while there's still a lot of jobs, number of hours are being um, limited and service jobs, part-time jobs are really what's in demand more than full-time jobs. So that indicates to me that the business market is going to slow a little bit. We're already seeing signs of recession in, in Europe and things. So with that I think what is happening with the crystal ball is you better increase your activity. You really need to realize, I'll circle back to where it started, your customers need you now more than ever. You have moved out of product filling role into you need to understand the relevant problems that your customers are facing, and you need to be there at the door helping them solve those problems. So your value props are going to change. The The way you reconfigure um, how you sell is going to uh, change. The good news is the slowdown in the marketplace is going to freak out your competition, and they're going to pull back. So it's going to be easier to get in, um, in, in front of people. But I think it's going to be a really good year for salespeople who truly understand how to sell. Sales does not happen in a good economy. We fill orders. Sales is about helping people achieve their goals, reach their dreams, or transform their industries past their biggest obstacles. That's your job as a salesperson. So buckle up because that's where you're going in 2024. I, th- I think that's right. And, and so I got a call from uh, two different people who said, um, uh, one said, I'm, I'm thinking about fractional work in HR. Another person said, you know what, I, I, I'm a good banker, but I think I can do this in front of lots of people like you do. I'm curious, when, when was it, Meredith, when that trigger went off, when you were a corporate person that said, I think I can do this, I'm going to go for it. And when you went for it, what did you do to get yourself ready in case there was some downtime? Okay, you're going you're gonna to love this because I did this such like a banker, Jack. Um, I turned 40, and I got to tell you, I love the age of 40. I love that age because you're old enough to be taken seriously. And I do think there's something to be said for 
um, before you go out on your own, having proven yourself. I know not everybody needs to do it, but I had just finished writing strategies for First Citizens Bank. We'd had a really good run. The strategy had done incredibly well, and I was on a high. I went to um, my boss and I went to the vice chairman and said, I really think I would like to go out on my own because 40 to me was I was old enough to be taken seriously, but I was young enough that if it didn't work, it was going to be easy for me to find another job. But just like a banker, like I had advised so many people before, I did not quit my day job. I left for citizens, but the very first thing I did was um, I was a fee income strategist. That was the last thing that I'd done in banking. And I went out and I um, I offered myself to five different financial institutions, see who would pay me the most to write their fee income and in- income strategy and execute it. And I figured it would take two years to do. So that was the package that I sold. At three banks bite, one paid me a lot of money for 20 hours a week work. And I used that steady salary that I knew I had a two-year runway. I used that to use the other hours that I had to basically launch my business. Because my feeling was when I launched my business, I just needed to work. So anybody who offered me anything, I did it. I did it for you know, not a lot of money because I needed case studies. I needed testimonials. I needed to build my own confidence to be sure that when I pitched a good amount of money out there, I was, I had the confidence to do it. And so I always tell people that um, I think, you know, in your gut when it's right for you, it was just, I was on a high in, in my corporate environment. I left on really good terms. I knew I could come back. If I needed to, my boss really supported what I wanted to do, and I had enough there that I could get started, but fear is not something good. If you fear how to pay your bills or something, it's not a good way to start a business. So I had to cover my nut, so to speak. That's the uh, professional term for it. Once that nut was covered, then I could get the rest of the business going. So I did that for two years, and, um, and the business launched after that. And now look where you are, internationally yeah. famous, you're out there every single week. And also every Saturday morning, I get up and listen to, I don't comment, <laughs> no. but, I, but I do listen to 7 a.m. Central Time, 8 a.m. Eastern Time to Sales Logic with Mark Hunter. How did that all get started? And tell us about the program. Well, um, you know, we uh, we were at a meeting for the National uh, Speakers Association. Mark and I are both met, uh, members. And, you know, it's funny. As a speaker, there's, you know, and as a salesperson, you should be looking at so many different ways to build your brand, right? Get your message out there. I mean, doing interviews like this is just, it's just gold for me. It's priceless. And um, people get to know you and they get to try you on for size. Well, we were listening to, they were having a session on podcasters. And in fact, it was so important. They did it from the main stage. And one of the most important things they said was that there's a real value, um, uh, in having uh, a man and a woman um, a- as co-hosts, there's there's real power um, in that. Um, and so Mark and I, basically, he was on one end of the room. I was on the other. We had met at a meeting probably three or four years earlier, and we looked at each other because Mark had just been phenomenal for me in opening doors and introducing me to people. Mark's been so much better to me than I have to him. He's just a phenomenal giver. And we just said, let's give this thing a try. And the first year, we kind of bumped along. We'd do one here, we'd do one there. And then finally, about a year into it, we said, we need to get serious. 
And with our travel schedules, we just decided that Saturday morning was uh, was the best time. And now we're just relentless about it. I mean, I've been in Hawaii and done it at 3 a.m., um, you know, no matter. So you can look back at episodes and see I'm not wearing a stitch of makeup. And if you look closely, I got my jammies on. But we, you know, and Jack, you know, because you're such, you're so great to show up. We have such amazing experts that show up, that chime in, that give sales um, advice, that are so good about it. I really feel like it's a community effort. It is. It's great. And then you do a lightning round at the end. And one of the things I really like at the end, too, is that you share a book. So since we're at the end of this program, let me share this <laughs> This is really an amazing book, and it's all yellow, marked up, and I've read it several times. And I need to tell you all, from a marketing perspective, so I get this book, and then I get this nice signed thing from Meredith about the book. You're a marketing genius, um, you're a sales genius, and I'm really proud to call you a friend, Meredith. How can people get a hold of you if they want to chat with you about speaking or consulting? Well, first of all, I've got to say the same to um, uh, to you. You know, Jack and I lost um, lost touch for a number of years. He was a big influence on my life um, early on. I mean, when you showed up at First Citizens, you really changed my perspective on so much. And then I believe we were in Minneapolis, and I walked out of the airport, and we were getting ready to get on a bus or do something. I don't know. And I was like, that's Jack Hubbard. And um, and I, I walked up and said something to you. And because you are the king of follow up, you followed up from there. And I don't think we have been separated since uh, since that day. But thank you so much. You can always find me at my website, valuespeaker.com, just the words valuespeaker.com. I tend to live on LinkedIn more than I do any other uh, social social media um, channel. And I am a passionate believer. If you build your network, it will change your life. So I promise you, if you reach out and uh, touch base with me. I will connect with you. And she is exactly right. And Meredith making 30 minutes of time on her incredibly busy schedule is amazing. She's the hardest working woman in sales today, <laughs> along with Bryn Tillman. I don't know how you do it. Congratulations on all of your accomplishments, Meredith. And thanks very much for being with us today. Well, thank you. It has been an honor as always, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Jack Rants with Modern Bankers with my good friend, Meredith Elliott Powell. This and every program is brought to you by the great folks at RELPRO and Vertical IQ. Join us next time for more special guests bringing you marketing, sales, and leadership insights, along with some ideas that will provide you or your bank that competitive advantage and edge that you need to succeed. This LinkedIn Live show is also a podcast Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Jack Rants with Modern Bankers and leave us a review as well. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and many others. Visit our website too. It's themodernbanker.com and we'll give you lots more information. And don't forget about the modernbanker.com library. This public library is free. It's got tremendous resources that you can get there themodernbanker.com slash public library, themodernbanker.com slash public library. And as I say at the end of every program, make today and every day a great client day.